This is Jamie Ott, and you're listening to the Avalanche Hour podcast. You are tuned in to episode 3.10 of the Avalanche Hour podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Merrill. The Avalanche Hour podcast is proudly presented by TAS Gazex, an avalanche of solutions, and our good friends at Ten Barrel Brewing, drink beer outside. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge, and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. Things have been tricky out there, my friends. Nine U.S. avalanche fatalities in January alone. I don't like that number, and you shouldn't either. Many zones are dealing with persistent slab problems that won't heal overnight. It takes a practice and patience to deal with this type of avalanche problem. Patience and good train evaluation and management are key. Utilize train progression to gather quality observations while you work your way into more complex train, if that is your objective. Big shout out to all of you who have been sending in emails and DMs on the social outlets. I read all of them and apologize if I'm slow to respond in the busy guiding season, but it fires me up every time I get one of these. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Avalanche Hour Podcast. And don't forget to tag us as well as at Primo Snow and Avalanche in an Instagram post to be entered to win one of Primo's snow saws. The El Professional is lightweight and it cuts so straight. It's really so easy to win. Trust me, you want one of these saws. A big shout out to TAS by MND Group, our headlining sponsor and supporter. I was on a little powder hunting trip earlier this month and got to see several ski areas that had new remote avalanche control systems by TAS. I saw the new Obelex installation at Alta the same day they flew in the system. Super slick and talking to some of the patrollers there, they are very fired up to be able to easily mitigate for avalanches while the hazard is building. This way they can have less cat cleanup and keep the avalanches numerous and small. I also saw some of the new Gazex exploders around Squaw Valley. These are a great tool as well to be able to give a start zone a good thump when at peak sensitivity. CDOT is utilizing some of their exploders for nighttime shoots, less impact on traffic and backcountry closures. Check out more by following at MND underscore group on Instagram or check out their website at www.tas.fr. Today's episode features Jamie Yawn. Jamie will introduce himself and give you his background, but he is certainly a busy guy. If you drive in Colorado in the wintertime, Jamie and his team are responsible for keeping you free from avalanche hazard. Tune in and hear what it's like to run the avalanche program for the Colorado Department of Transportation. Here we go with Jamie. All right, welcome to the show, Jamie. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So I was hoping you could introduce yourself and let us know how you entered the world of snow and avalanches. Sure, yeah. So um, I'm the avalanche program manager for the Colorado Department of Transportation, which is a pretty new position for me that I just started last December. And I actually got my start in Bozeman, Montana at um, a little ski area called Bridger Bowl. 
and my stepdad is Randy Elliott, and he ran that ski area for, um, well, he's still running that ski area, but he's been there since the mid-70s, and so kind of grew up there and, you know, had some really amazing mentors when I was a teenager, you know, Carl Berkland and Ron Johnson and Doug Chabot, like the Southwest Avalanche Center was China just getting up and running. Carl had just kind of gotten it up and running when I was a teenager, and and those guys, I was lucky enough to have those guys as my mentors, you know, so going out with them as a teenager, you know, cruising around on a snowmobile and skis and digging pits and like being so impressed, right? Like this is your job. This is what you do. This you paid, you paid for this. And so kind of became this long, um, long range goal that I had was to get into the avalanche industry, you know? And so got through high school and wanted to pursue that. And those guys suggested getting a meteorology degree. And so I ended up going to the university of Utah and salt Lake Spent a few years at Montana State and then um, went transferred down there and got in with the atmospheric science program at the U and uh, ended up getting a meteorology degree and skiing in the Wasatch and um, meeting some people down there. And I graduated from that job or graduated from from the U and was wanted to get out in the field and get some experience. You know, I'd been around it, but I was still pretty green and um you know, it's a tough field to break into. There's just not that many jobs and, you know, hard thing to get experience. So I was, I was thinking I was going to ski patrol or I wanted to put my degree to work, but I wanted to like, you know, do the forecasting, the weather forecasting, but be out in the field and like verify my forecasts and like learn, you know, and get better. And ended up in Jackson, Wyoming, working on a project for, um, Rand Decker. And it was a, passive avalanche mitigation project for the Wyoming DOT and finished that up in the fall. And they're like, Hey, why don't you come work for us for the winter? You know? And so I kind of stepped into that job there just as a kind of part-time seasonal guy and was plowing snow and doing all those things. And it, um, it, you know, it, it morphed into this career there actually, and was never my intention, but, you know, landed there and, turned it into a career and they made a spot for me and kind of created a position and their program was, you know, their program was, um, um, it, it was, it was, it'd been around for a long time. They had a lot of history there, but they'd never really had, a you know, somebody who was a skier like into the, into the snow science part mm-hmm. of it, you know? And so like, it was more just the DOT guys. Yeah, you know, I, I like to say forever, they'd be like, hey, we need an avalanche guy. Yeah, you, you be the avalanche guy, you know, you read this book and right. um, take this class, you know. And like, I think it's, I think it's um, after they hired me and, you know, like it's easier to bring, to ha- hire the avalanche guy and teach him to be the DOT guy sure. than it is to maybe take the DOT guy and teach him to be the avalanche guy. And so that's kind of where that program was at. And, you know, a lot of history there. I mean. They run a program since the seventies, yeah. but it, it was there. Nobody was ever going up into the starting zones to dig pits or like do ops or anything like that. You know, did so, they have any cooperation with the forest service or any? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. They work together, you know, but different problems, right? right? You know, those guys at the forest service have, you know, they're writing zone forecasts and, you know, we're, we're interested in that like point forecast, just sure. path by path basis. So. That's right. kind of the story. And then I was in Wyoming DOT for 15 years and looking for more opportunities and some change and cool. came to Colorado about a year ago. Awesome. So. Um, 
And so, and you had a big part in implementing a lot of the remote avalanche control systems on Teton Pass, right? And yeah. some of the other forecast areas in Wyoming. Yeah, so they um, they had a Gazek system, one of the first ones in the country on Teton Pass. It was built in, two of them were built in 92 and two more in 93. So they had four exploders mm-hmm. when I started. And they were old, first-generation units. Um, and, you know, it's a hard life. You know, you're up there at 10,000 feet and they blow up, right? So those things, I, I really learned a lot about Gazex at that job because those things needed a lot of maintenance and you just had to keep up with them because we really relied on that system, you know, in the wintertime. So it needed to work. So I just I had to learn it and make sure it was running. And so um, learned about a lot about Gazex and made a lot of improvements on that system over the years. Right, right. And, and then we had some other things. We built an avalanche guard system in 2003. And then um, I brought the first Obelex exploder to North America. And we built that in uh, four or five years ago. Right. What's the avalanche guard system? It's uh, it's a cash mortar system. So it's a, it's a magazine, basically. It's a box on a tower, remotely operated. Um, call it up, open the door, and then it's got a black powder propellant that mm. pushes a pretty big charge. It's like a four kilogram shot. So okay. double captain fuse and with a lanyard to initiate the, the fuse on a right. pull wire igniter. It launches that thing out into the starting zone. Okay. So um you wear any other hats in the avalanche industry? I've seen you on the American Avalanche Institute website. You teach any courses for those yeah, guys? Yeah, I've done some teaching, um some weather weather courses i've done some teaching and some weather courses and some avalanche courses level ones and twos and threes for those guys and then i've been the president of the avalanche artillery users of north america for seven years which is kind of the nonprofit side of uh all the programs that have artillery in their program mm-hmm. um all are part of this organization called um aaunac and we kind of just one voice to represent all the artillery users with the army and the mm. forest service. So instead of everybody operating independently, we kind of have one voice. Gotcha. That's got to be pretty interesting at times. Uh, yeah. In, yeah. With it the is army and interacting with the army, you know, and like keeping that relationship strong and, um, and, and, you know, having dialogue with the ATF for the forest service and, um, so that's been pretty interesting. It's on really good footing right now, but it, you know, it's things change. You got to educate people about what we do and who we are. Cause you know, you get somebody new in the army and they're like, who are you? And why do you have howitzers? <laughs> and you know, civilians with artillery is, it's a big deal. So, yeah. you know, you got to take it seriously and educate people about what we do. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jamie, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about the CDOT avalanche forecasting program and, and kind of how that's structured. It's a big program, right? Um, so talk about how many paths, how many roads are affected. Sure, um, yeah. And then how many forecasters you guys uh, employ and and kind of what a day in the life looks like. Sure, yeah. The CDOT program is, it's interesting. It's big, you know. We've got a lot of, um, a lot of people, a lot of paths. Like it's a lot of terrain, a lot of geography, um, a lot of tools on our toolbox and it's pretty unique. Like there's not much that compares to it in scope and scale until you go to maybe like British Columbia or Alaska, you know, mm-hmm. we have about 320, 350 avalanche paths in the Atlas and we're actively managing 180 of those 
So like half of them, you know, we're doing active avalanche mitigation. We have uh, the other thing that's interesting about our program is um, this Colorado Avalanche Information Center does our forecasting. So I manage a contract with them and they provide the forecasting piece of our um, program. And so uh, there's eight um, avalanche forecasters across the state that do the forecasting piece and give us advice and um, recommendations that we use to conduct mitigation missions. So, so, these, so those eight forecasters aren't putting out public forecasts, they're putting out highway-specific forecasts. Correct, yeah, that's all internal um, highway-specific stuff that is just, you know, it's used for operational decision-making. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so the highway thing is, it's a challenging operation. You know, we, in some ways it's, you're, you know, you're doing a point forecast instead of a zone forecast. So you're really trying to, you know, nail down those forecasts and um, um, really try and make some pretty intense operational decisions off your forecast, you know? So there's kind of a lot riding on those decisions and there's, uh, there's a lot of information to take on and um, a lot of logistics to manage, you know, with that. And so it's certainly a it's a it's a collaboration between the two agencies, the Avalanche Information Center and CDOT. Um, but it it works pretty good. Mm-hmm. It works pretty good. Um, they're kind of insulated from all the things that CDOT has to deal with. And so they can focus on the forecasting and that piece. Um, whereas all of us in CDOT, we wear different hats. I'm actually the only guy at CDOT that is really like full-time year-round, everyday avalanche Mm. stuff. So, um, but like a typical day for a forecaster in the highway world is starts like anybody else, right? You start with the, the OBS and the weather forecast and then, and then produce a, produce a internal document that we use to make those operational decisions. Um, and that's kind of the daily grind. And then when you got a mitigation day, you know, things can get a little crazy, you know, managing road closures and the traffic control and all those other pieces that are unique to the highway business that you don't find in the other, you know, avalanche professions. Right. So, so you said there's eight forecasters. So there are eight zones throughout the state. Is that uh, how it works? We actually, it's more like, well, there's actually, we divide it up into highway corridors um, and then we kind of split it up in half. So we got the northern mountains and the southern mountains. Um, we have some really active corridors, of course, like, you know, the whole Silverton area, right? I mean, there's 150 avalanche paths in that zone between mm-hmm. Red Mountain, Coalbank, Molas, and Lizardhead. And there's three forecasters down there focused on just that kind of zone. But that's a lot of that's a lot of terrain. That's a lot of it's a target rich environment. That's for sure. And then we have um, a forecaster that's based on Wolf Creek, which is uh, over on the um, different part of the San Juans, um, but pretty busy road. And he's got a few other random places he forecasts for, but mostly for Wolf Creek. And then we've got a team up here on the I-70 corridor. And there's about 50 avalanche paths in kind of the I-70 zone, 40 or 50. And then there's a guy over in, based out of Carbondale, and he takes care of McClure and um, Grand Mesa, two big, um, not they don't have the traffic volumes, but some mm-hmm. pretty big avalanche paths on McClure that are pretty interesting. And then there's another forecaster down for Monarch Pass. And so, um, 
we're kind of spread out all over the state, you know, and, yeah. and the avalanche problem is spread out all over the place, you know, so uh, there's probably 10 corridors that have avalanche issues across the state. So pretty, pretty big chunk of terrain. So, so what area has the most traffic or like, would you use the avalanche hazard index? Yeah, the ha- the hazard index is a is a great tool for us. You know, it's a so it has kind of the highest level mm, on the index. Then. The highest uh, path, the highest avalanche hazard index path is the Brooklands on Red Mountain Pass, and it's mm-hmm. around. Ooh, it might be it might be close to a hundred. Uh, I can't quite remember the number, but it's it's pretty high. Uh, Red Mountain Corridor. Um, if you step, you know, add all the numbers up, it's definitely the highest, but it doesn't have the traffic volumes, gotcha. right? And so it, that's changing. That's changing just like every road mm-hmm. we have, like the numbers are increasing. Um, but the vol- the traffic volumes are in you know, a couple thousand cars a day, maybe on red, mm-hmm. you know, a thousand cars a day. Whereas the I-70 corridor through the tunnel, we're averaging 40,000 cars a day. Wow. And that tunnel's at 11,000 plus feet so there's a lot of challenges just with the weather and the traffic at the tunnel Mm -hmm. and then you throw the avalanche problem on top of that and it can get a little crazy yeah you know so that's um pretty interesting but the avalanche hazard index is something i use a lot to just um and we recalculated those numbers in 2016 to reflect the the new traffic volume. So can you just, I'm sure you could explain it better than I, and just for our listeners, what that is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's far from perfect, but it's basically a way to uh, quantify risk between different paths, different corridors and different areas, you know? So um, it basically measures, I mean, it gives a score of, um, you know, based on, it's basically, uh, you know, the interaction of snow and a, moving and a waiting vehicle right so it takes a lot of different things into account to produce this this number and and that's the score and it just gives us kind of a a quantifiable way to represent risk is how i i see it um and so you know the more traffic you have the higher that number is going to be because the more like the higher likelihood that a car or avalanche is going to encounter a vehicle Mm -hmm. right so and it's used across the industry so it gives us a a baseline to compare between other programs and, and you can do lots of different things with it. You can calculate it for, you know, if you say you are mitigating these paths. And so with the mitigation, the avalanche hazard index is this, but if it was unmitigated, it would be this. Mm-hmm. And so it gives you a way to kind of quantify risk. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what mitigation tools are you all using um, we, for the highway department? We've got a big toolbox. Um, We've got a big howitzer program, one of the biggest in the country. We've got eight howitzers mm. across the state. Um, we have, you know, many avalanchers, um, which we're trying to phase out of, but we it's a tool we use a lot. Um, we do some hand charging, not much, but mostly we're doing case charging, which is just a, a really large explosive charge placed at the road. Um, and trying to direct that blast up the slope, but we're having good luck with that. But those are big shots, 35 to 50 pounds. Um, and we're, uh, influencing snowpacks about 500 vertical feet above us. So we're having good luck with that. We do heli bombing. We have 16 Gazex gas exploders. 
um, and we're finishing up a project right now. We're building one other Gazex and 15 Obelex, wow. and that'll be done here and operational for this winter. And then uh, we plan to have um, a remote avalanche control system project every summer for a long time. And is that to phase out the artillery or? Um, the focus is more to reduce our dependence on the avalanche to start. The, we feel like the, the howitzer, the artillery is a more stable platform and more stable program. Um, and so until there's maybe some changes with the, the avalanche rounds, that's our, one of our main goals is to, to, to reduce our, our use of the, the launcher, but we're also looking at Avalanche. We're looking at, I'm looking at a lot of things to implement these things. You know, Avalanche Hazard Index is a big one. Um, um, some places we don't have a great mitigation method for, except for maybe the helicopter. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that the, the, the way you prioritize them is it's a, it's, um, it's been interesting trying to come up with a strategic plan and, you know, look at, look at how we're going to implement that, you know, what the plan looks like in three, five or 10 years. And, where we're going to start and how we're going to build out our uh, infrastructure and then how we're going to maintain it and operate it. And really we're going through a big change in our program. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a pretty interesting time to be at CDOT actually and work on avalanche stuff. Yeah. Any passive mitigation? I mean, I, aside from road closures, which is fairly obvious. But- right. Um, I would like to implement some more passive measures. You know, it's a real, it's a real burden with cost with the passive measures. Uh, I think there's a lot of value in it. And so I'm not dismissing it by any means, but, um, you know, you're talking about order of magnitude more expensive than building a Gazek system, Mm -hmm. you know? So not that it's not doable, but, and there's some places it makes a lot of sense and I am going to look pretty hard at some passive measures, but the, the, the cost is like, pretty high and we have actually a fair bit of um snow sheds in the state mm-hmm. um there's one on wolf creek and there's one on red mountain pass which is too small but it, there is one there um so we do have some snow sheds some passive measures we have some berms and some diversion stuff that's um effective for the debris not so much the powder cloud but mm-hmm. certainly for the debris with the diversion stuff but in, in your time both in wyoming and and CDOT, um, how much have you seen some of these frequent running paths change? You know, like, are, are, are you seeing that the trim lines, the, that they're running any bigger? I mean, obviously it has to do with what the snowpack is like, right? But the sure. physicality of these paths, have you seen them change? Well, I've time? certainly seen the rain line get higher, mm-hmm. you know, like I spent 15 years in Wyoming. And when I, the last year I had there, I saw, um, atmospheric river event that you know my counterparts in alaska would talk about wind-driven rain events and i would laugh and be like that sounds awful and then it happened to me and i was like yeah it is awful you Mm -hmm. know like and that was the biggest avalanche cycle i've ever seen and that was a wet slab cycle in 16 uh that was last no the winter before last so yeah 16 yeah yeah Yeah. february february yeah 40 avalanches in the highway in six days yeah um, closed every road in and out of Jackson, um, and saw we, you know, we had to redo our Atlas after that yeah. cycle and, you know, trees with root balls on them. Um, and the wet slab cycle, you know, like it's not something you deal with that much in an in intermountain snowpack, especially in February, February in Jackson hole, yeah. like rain to 10,000 feet. Um, not, 
And a lot of rain, yeah, that's not something we usually deal with, but I think that's probably the new normal. Mm -hmm. You know, I think when we talk about averages and our our record going back whatever 40 50 years i don't know that the averages mean what they used to mm-hmm. and maybe the 10-year average is more in line with what we're going to see in the future and it's not so much the, the 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 full year you know the full term of the record it's maybe it's more this uh this more recent trends yeah so we'll see but i think I think that's the biggest thing I've noticed is just where the rain line is sure. forecasting that. And we've even seen it here in Colorado mm-hmm. last winter. And that's not something these that we're used to dealing with in Colorado either. Yeah. You know, so I think you're right. I think it could kind of become the new norm here. Yeah. And it's, it's tricky. It's a hard thing to, mm. it's a hard thing to do mitigation. You know, you got to have really good timing and, you know, um, and they're dangerous avalanches, you know, mm-hmm. they can really, you know, they'll just bury things, push things off the road, bring trees with them. And they're hard to clean up. That's the other thing with the right. highway operations. You know, they're full of trees and rocks and everything else. So, Any uh, any d- detection systems out there that you guys are implementing? Um, we are we are very interested in implementing some detection systems. Um, you know, I think there's some potential with radar. And, and certainly infrasound mm-hmm. um, in some of our operations. Um, McClure Pass, we're, looking, we're kind of curious about maybe implementing a radar there because we don't do any mitigation. We don't do any active control work. It's just um, closures. So if we can, we can use a radar to maybe swing some gates or something, mm-hmm. we can be a little more effective and efficient with that operation there. Be an interesting projects so it's something we're looking at infrasound to just kind of support our operations for like nighttime firing howitzers and something mm-hmm. right? something i'm curious about for wolf creek so i think there's uh there's good applications for those things um not everywhere but there's some really there's some definitely some places that i'm curious about trying to implement those you know to just really make the program a little more robust so, sure um so what is a what does a mitigation morning look like for you all at CDOT? I mean, you, you mentioned that there's eight CAIC, CAIC forecasters. Are they actively involved in that, or is it strictly the DOT employees? The employees are it's, – it's a team effort, mm-hmm. and the forecasters are certainly there for the mitigation missions. Um, but the CDOT crews are basically, you know, the logistics of having the – um, equipment in place for cleanup, running the traffic control, you know, all the communications kind of run through our teams. And so, and then the forecasters are there to, to, um, kind of advise those, those mitigation teams, you know, like, uh, maybe adjusting fire and getting the shots in the right place or, Hey, we need to control these paths, but not so much on the, the, the other side of the pass or, you know, there's, there's certain events. And, and so they're making those, um, helping those teams with those decisions out in the field. And, and, you know, you make a plan in the morning for mitigation, right? And you go out and you test it, right? And then you adjust accordingly. And sometimes you go out and you test stability and you get good results and you're like, okay, let's, let's shoot it all. Let's do it. You know, and other days you go out and you shoot a few, you know, the, the most frequent ones and it's, it's locked up tight and you're like, okay, let's, let's wrap it up. Let's get this thing open. Let's, you know, let's move on, get on with our day, you know? Mm -hmm. So those forecasters are out there doing those kind of decisions. And they're also, you know, we're a big push for us is like, uh, our data collection. We've got good 
avalanche occurrence records from the CIC, but we don't have as things like our explosives use, you know, and how effective our explosives program is, you know, when we go out and do mitigation and where we're shooting a lot of avalanche rounds and you know what I mean? So we don't have, and so we, we've, we're doing, um, so the CIC guys are, are tracking all that stuff now on uh, Esri platform. And so I think that's going to be a super powerful tool for us once we get some of our legacy data in there and build up that platform some more. And, um, and so they're kind of, you know, they're advising those teams and then this, the forecasters, you know, documenting all that stuff on the platform, really taking the, putting the details in there and scribing everything down in the, in the app. Cool. And so it's a real team effort out there. And the mitigation, mitigation mornings are pretty intense. They're pretty full on, you know, not every day, but, um, when it, when it's happening, you know, it's happening everywhere. And so you can get spread pretty thin and, uh, just managing all those logistics can be a challenge i can imagine yeah i mean i the only experience that i have is trying to get ski area open and and get some heli ski train going but you know there's enough pressure there i can hardly imagine what it's like trying to get a whole highway open you know yeah. how, how do you deal with that and and you know how do you not fall into feeling that pressure from the public or your supervisors or any tricks that you found that have helped? Well, you know, that's a really good question because I know when I first started the highway thing, like I was, you know, I feel that stress, you know, but after some experience and like seeing things go bad and like things getting away from me, like when the road's closed, we're good. We are good. You know, like we have full control over what we do, you know? Mm -hmm. And so in those situations, I don't, I, I close the road and then do the work that needs to be done. And like, um, don't, I, I, I filter all that out, but like, that's something you gotta, you gotta learn and you gotta just kind of put that aside and like put your game face on and like, I got a, a job to do. And like, I'm here to keep my people safe, the public safe, but I'm here to keep my team safe. And we're not going to rush through any of these steps. We can be efficient, we can be effective, but we're not going to be in a hurry, you know? And so, um, and, and taking that mindset to your supervisors that might not be out in the field, you know, it's, it's just, you know, that's something you got to learn. And so there's, there's, we got good people on our teams that have done it a long time and, you know, um, you know, I've seen things go bad, you know, I've been on rescues and I've, I've been out in the dark going up probe down probe, you know, and I just assume never do that again. So, um, mm. um, uh, the, you know, the, the, the times that are really stressful is when things get away from us, right. You got a, uh, avalanche onto an open road and that happens. Like you can run the best program in the world, but you just can't account for all the, for all the risk all the time, you know? So just like in the back country, you just have good habits all the time and I'll keep you safe. And you just try and bring that to the, to the highway. And, and I just try and convey that to everybody, you know? So. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Not, I mean, especially for anybody that's looking to get into highway forecasting, but certainly for ski patrollers and anybody in this industry, you know, slowing down and, and realizing when the ball's in your court and when you can, you know, maintain or determine the tempo of, of the game, so to speak, you know? Yeah. Um, what have, uh, do you guys, do you all find that um, you're finding lots of recreational backcountry users above open roads? And, uh, you know, I, I know that on Teton Pass a few years ago, a road, a car got pushed off the road that may have been uh, caused by an avalanche triggered by a skier above, right? Are, yeah. are you seeing a lot of occurrences of this? 
Uh, I mean, certainly a huge problem on Teton Pass, you know, that event two years ago. I mean, we'll never know if it was skier caused or not, but mm-hmm. the reality of that situation was it was like 4.30 in December, so it was almost dark, during a full-on blizzard on high avalanche danger day, and there were, you know, 10 people around in and around that starting zone. So skier triggered or not, like there's there's some reckless behavior going on like well you know and that and we're seeing that in colorado too you know like Mm -hmm. that's that's um that's something that we have to factor into our forecasting which is super challenging you know um and that was one of the things that i was really over on teton pass to tell you the truth was just dealing with that whole aspect there's a there's a fair bit of entitlement you know out there with that and uh and and i wasn't fun to deal with yeah. you know it was stressful and um it was it's a hard thing to manage i mean it's basically you're running a super loose ski resort with like two guys and like no rules yeah good luck mm-hmm. you know so best of luck to those guys in why dot <laughs> <laughs> um are you able to close any backcountry um any backcountry in Colorado, like for your um, mitigation mornings, or how do you get the we, word out with for that? Uh, that's a good question, you know, and I'm still learning the ins and outs of the details of this program. And we, you know, we're not doing any backcountry closures. There's a permanent closure on the Seven Sisters on Loveland Pass. Um, and that's the only kind of uh, closure we have or management method we have. Um, you know, they know they're doing some things at UDOT with some backcountry closures and, um, uh, but we're not doing that here and we're mostly just trying to manage the people best we can. You know, the one nice thing about building like Gazic systems and remote avalanche control systems is, is, uh, it makes the nighttime operations a lot more doable, mm-hmm. a lot more safe. And so shooting, doing shoots at like three or four in the morning, you know, is, 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 um, way more doable with that stuff. You know, shooting a howitzer at three in the morning, we're not, we're not keen to do that and then we've gone we've gotten some thermal imaging binoculars they're using some at udot we kind of borrowed that from them and we're going to implement that this year because we're going to go to nighttime firing which is actually something cdot's never done Mm -hmm. and so that's something i'm implementing we're going to use those binoculars to make sure you know just to try and try and clear paths of people confirm results you know just so we have another tool to just help us you know keep track of people and you know, trying to manage things with no, you know, no, no overnight parking and strategic places and just trying to think about where the backcountry users are and um, make sure that we're accounting for them. But gotcha. it's, it's something that's we're going to have to address with our program here at CDOT mm-hmm. for sure. So, so like you said, you're about a year into the job. What, what are you thinking the biggest challenge that the Highway Avalanche Safety Program faces right now? Um. Well, I think we just um, we've got a good program. We've got a lot of history with it. Uh, just really defining the roles and responsibilities of everybody, so it's really clear. And like having a really good training program, and those are all things we're doing. Um, and and tightening up the documentation, and um, but really just um, it's a good program. We're just. We're just gonna we're gonna bring the remote control avalanche systems to this program, mm-hmm. and that's that's uh, that's the big push, you know. And so, 
there'll be some operational changes that come with that. And I think the nighttime operations is going to be a big move for us. And, um, but you know, it's a dangerous place. I mean, more highway fatalities in Colorado than anywhere. And most of those fatalities are seat out workers. So, you know, just making sure that, that there's good communication between the forecasters and the mitigation teams and everybody's on the same page and we're not, you know, bound to pressure. And I think we have the same problem that any DOT program has, you know, and you're just, you're not caving to political pressure. You're, you're hired to do a job and you just you go out and do the job to the best of your ability and, and just um, make that really clear and define those boundaries, you know? So I think the, we have the same challenges that any DOT problem, uh, that any OD, DOT has. So, mm-hmm. Just, um, yeah, making sure we're safe. And that's, you know, that's why we call them avalanche safety programs because that's what we're about, you know, is keeping people safe. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so you're a big proponent of this nighttime uh, mitigation work. And, and so I can imagine that's a factor of less cars on the road. And then does some of it have to do with hitting the, trying to, um, trying to initiate the avalanche at peak sensitivity during a storm yeah it gives you more options if you're not mm-hmm. if you're not limiting yourself to daylight operations you know certainly if we need to do closures in the daytime shoot like, like let's do that mm-hmm. but you know nighttime nighttime firing is a good tool and if you're talking about risk there's you know just closing a road and with all this traffic here there's just a lot of just a lot of problems that just come with that and so um and then we're, you know, we're, our mission is to really provide a, you know, a safe drivable highway for the public. And, um, and that helps us accomplish that mission better with the nighttime firing, you know? So, um, certainly we're not looking to be in a rush or put any of our people at risk, you know, with nighttime work and cleanup operations in the starting zones and stuff where you can't see, but I feel like with these fixed, systems you know where the shot's going off they're air blasts so right. you know post control release with a gazex system not can't say that i've heard of one um but really you know we've got one of our big missions is to provide a really safe and efficient transportation system to the public and so i think that helps us accomplish our mission mm-hmm. is to do some nighttime work and just not to limit ourselves you know like let's keep let's have more options the more options we have the better we can operate and if you know, if we're going to try and do mitigation every time at daylight, you know, let's, let's give ourselves some more tools and some more options to use them. Right. That seems like it totally makes sense. Um, so you, you mentioned earlier just about, you know, some of the challenges in the Tetons. How's the transition been for you? Because it, it seems like they're two pretty different programs. I mean, obviously some similarities, but just the magnitude. Alone. The magnitude of the program here at CDOT's like, it's, it's impressive, yeah. you know, and, um, it's cool to be a part of it, but yeah, the magnets, like it, why not? We had one howitzer here. We have eight, mm-hmm. you know, why not? We had four Gazex here. We got 16. And after this winter, we'll have, we'll have 31 racks operating this, this, uh, winter, you know? And so, um, and then we've got eight forecasters. We've got 70 guys doing avalanche mitigation. And so from where, and I'm, I'm not that operational. I'm not the operations guy anymore. You know, I'm, here to kind of facilitate all the operations across the state, but I'm not out there doing it every day. And I try and get out in the field when I can, but I'm more like 20,000 foot view guy. So mm. I'm here to, 
um, support the programs, but if I feel strongly about something, I'll wade into that discussion and, and offer my opinion, but I'm mostly here to like support all the operations across the state. And so, and, but there's a lot of players, a lot of people spread out across the state, different um, maintenance sections with different supervisors and different approaches. And so just like navigating all those relationships is pretty interesting. So um, it's a big step for me, <laughs> but, um, but it's interesting. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, a lot of, there, there's a lot of uh, momentum here with this program mm -hmm. and I'm excited to be a part of it. And then, you know, working with the CIC is great. You know, I mean, Ethan green as is a really accomplished avalanche professional. His team is really professional. They've got a lot of amazing skills. They're really well-spoken. They're really good at what they do. They take pride in it. And, and the same goes for our mitigation teams. You know, we got a lot of guys with 25 years, 30 years of experience, you know, doing this stuff in these highway corridors, you know, and, and they all take pride in what they do. And so, um, and so it's pretty cool. I think one of the biggest challenges probably is like this, um, all this, all this knowledge that we have, these 25 year veterans, you know, they're, they're winding down their careers, you know, and, uh, you know how it is with avalanches. It's not like you see the big cycles every year. Right. And so like, you know, even for me, right, I got 15 years of experience and I've seen one wet slab cycle seen lots of wet loose cycles and dry slab cycles and deep slab cycles well not lots of deep slab cycles i've seen like five big deep slab cycles you know once every three years in the tetons but one wet slab cycle you know mm -hmm. so like it's i think that's that's a challenging piece you know to like fill in these guys with all this legacy with these new folks and right you know you know talk about what these things can do and you don't see it every day so yeah it's a challenge one of the challenges all right. Uh, Jamie, any, any near misses or, or close calls or pivotal moments in your career that, that uh, you've learned from that you care to share? Yeah, I mean, there's been a few. Um, rain on snow, man, that, that shit's scary mm -hmm. and, uh, and unpredictable, you know. And not that it goes sideways every time, but that's a new one for me. Not something I'm used to dealing with, but something I'm learning to manage. Um, and so I've really learned a lot with that 2016 season, but I've seen, I've seen some other things, you know, I've, uh, I've had some close calls, um, and, and I've seen, I've seen some, I've, you know, I've seen a helicopter crash and I've seen some things that in my career that have, you know, changed the way I operate a little bit and, um, and, uh, and, there's a lot of ways to get hurt in this job and like, like good habits will keep you safe and, but you'll never account for all the risk, you know? So, um, good habits, stack all the odds in your favor every time. And, and then, uh, and then it's all about making good decisions, you know, and that's really what the job's about mm -hmm. and, and, and really that critical thinking and, uh, and the times I've gotten myself into trouble are the times I started rushing and got and, you know, forgot something or missed something or, you know, so. But uh, um, I think one of the most pivotal moments probably was uh, I got in 2008, saw a deep slap cycle on Teton Pass. And I was still fairly green, but I'd been at it for about five years and uh went into this deep slap cycle and we used all the tools, you know, shot the howitzer, shot the gaz X and, um, 
And I just knew this one spot was hanging in there. And I was like, we gotta, we gotta do something about this. So, um, we went and got a helicopter, went up there and dropped a 25 pounder and, um, four foot crown, put about 50 feet of snow in the, in the road at glory bowl. And, uh, I was like, that was a good piece of forecast. And I'm kind of proud of that moment, you know, and got yeah. to see that result. So that was, um, that was cool. That's a heck of a way to test your forecast, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's the best way to test your forecast. 25 pounder. Right. Yeah. I can only imagine what it would have been like if, if something had swayed you from doing that, you know, and, and then what is that like going home and just having that in the back of your head, even if something didn't happen, you know? And there's, there is a lot of second guessing in this business, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, the, in the, the highway business, especially, you know, like you're you're not, you're not doing road closures just to testability, you know, like some days you are, but like, it's not, it's not every storm, you know, you're not, you're not, we're not running a ski area. We're not controlling for the size ones We're you know, well, I guess there's different approaches there, right? I mean, you could do mitigation every time it snowed with the thought you're going to keep them small, mm -hmm. but, um, but that's not really an effective way to do business in the highway world. Maybe in the right setup, you can do that. Um, so there's a lot of second guessing sometimes, you know, and it can be really stressful and there can be some sleepless nights and some sleepless weeks. And, uh, um, so, but you really just, you just gotta, uh, you know, make, do that critical thinking exercise and stick with the facts and just make facts-based decisions and, and don't be afraid to change it when things, when conditions change or you notice something you don't like and, and just, you know, so those have been kind of the biggest, biggest lessons I've learned, but it's been a pretty interesting career so far. I'm kind of excited to see where the next decade takes me. Yeah. That's great, Jamie. I think some of that is some really sound advice for our listeners here. Um, well, I really appreciate you sitting down with us today and taking the time to share some of your experiences and knowledge and, and give us a glimpse into the CDOT program. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been, it's been fun. All right. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks. I certainly hope you enjoyed that interview with Jamie. Next time, I have a short interview that I'll release with Ray Mumford, who was integral in the development of the CDOT Avalanche program. If you like this episode, Ray's will add some of the context of the story by giving some history of where it all began. Thanks again to TAS Gazex and 10 Barrel for supporting the podcast. Thanks to Mike T for the artwork. You demand T. Music today was performed by Schedule One Beats. Check out more of their tracks on SoundCloud. Thanks, Karsten, for letting us use that. Please rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. It really does help. Keep sending me that feedback via email. You can find a link to a contact form on the website, www.theavalanchehour.com. You can also find bios of contributors and links to past episodes. Check it out. Until next time. Stay tuned, stay safe, and keep having fun out there. Cheers.